We have a major milestone upcoming in Indie Ball and a slate of awards that we have to discuss on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Hey, all right, we are back again. Episode number 187 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We have a surprisingly decent amount of stuff for the first week of the uh, off-season. I mean, we got a good announcement coming towards the end of the show. We got a uh, some managerial news. We got awards. We got schedule releases. And especially a, a very unique kind of uh, scheduling release amongst all sorts of things. Yeah, it's for as far as first first weeks of the offseason go it's usually kind of like just a barren wasteland uh that's not the case today so that's that's at least good news so uh though but believe me the barren wasteland episodes are coming it's just not this week oh yeah it's a matter of time as to when and where i mean like we have a a general rough idea i mean we can go over you know divisions review the past season get interviews things of that sort but uh Sooner or later, the winter catches up to you and things just, uh, they freeze in place. So while we have the warmth of new information, we might as well bask in its glow. And on that note, after painting that kind of a picture, we'll kick it off as we've done pretty much every episode in 2022. So we might as well just keep it this way with the Frontier League, which has some bits of news, some that just came out today. We're recording on Thursday for a bit of a change of pace. And uh, some other bits that came out earlier in the week. And that earlier in the week news is the Frontier League announcing their schedule for its 30th season of play, which is such a milestone when you get down to it. Probably, if not certainly is, I believe, the longest standing independent league at the moment. And it's just kind of going on strong here. So they're going to start their 30th season of play in 2023 on Thursday, May 11th. So you can count down the days here. What is it? About five, seven months from now or so, give or take, about seven months. And uh, yeah, we will have baseball returning then in the Frontier League that will run through September the 3rd. That is obviously the Sunday before Labor Day as per usual. Uh, pretty much the same as always. Uh, 96 games. You have your two divisions, your East and your West. Uh, teams are going to play three or four series against their divisional rivals while facing the other eight teams from other division at least one series each for them. Uh, the majority of the schedule was created by the computer science department at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, so they, they brought in some prestige here to create this schedule here. So again, it's, it's nice to see everybody's going to play everybody. That's something that's a huge positive here. Again, we're going to st- finally start to really get that cycle through. We saw it a bit in 22. We're going to see it again in 23 of getting the new faces of each the Can-Am or formerly Can-Am League and the Frontier League to kind of get there. So if you're in Joliet, you can see all these Eastern teams. If you're in one of these Eastern markets, mainly New Jersey or Quebec, um, you can go ahead and see some of these more out there teams, your Evansvilles, your Joliets, your Windy Cities, you know, teams that, you know, are considerably far away. So that's going to be a positive there. Another thing that is kind of of note as well, this schedule is, Beginning on August 1st, teams will go to exclusive division play for the uh, final 10 regular season series, with that being the kind of general ramp up for the postseason. Obviously, something that is a positive. We're going to see some more meaningful games down the stretch being played, and that's always something you'd like to see. Obviously, you know, if you're in the boat of having to play more Western Conference opponents while you're in the East towards the end, it's not really what you're looking for there. Uh... Obviously, there's a couple other things of note from this schedule, special days in there as well, which we'll get to. But I believe I am neglecting to mention the the real major part of this schedule release, which I'm sure will you will uh, enlighten the listeners to as uh, as I wrap up here. Yeah, I think first of all, on, on the, just to hit on the points that you mentioned yep. first, Nick, that I'm a big fan. Of, well, everybody plays everybody, obviously. It's a good thing. 
I the the important thing is I, I think I'm a big fan of the uh, August first rule where the, they will play exclusively in division for the final ten regular season series. Uh, that's good for a multitude of reasons. I think one just because uh, you want as the playoff races are coming down the stretch, you want as many head to head matchups as possible. You know, obviously for relevance and playoff yeah. importance, that's what you want to see, and that's what the fans want to see. Uh, and also, I think it's it's good because you don't want any like long road trips right before like the end of the regular season or right before the playoffs, where you you have the situation of a team maybe who's out west has to come all the way east on the one travel day and then kick off the playoffs. That's you. You, you definitely don't want any sort of situation like that. So uh, so I think that's a good. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the. Uh, teams playing exclusively within their own division for the final the final uh, month or month plus a couple days of the season uh the the things that uh of course the the big i think the uh the big season opening date like usually it's like oh well this team opens here this team opens here usually I'm like all right whatever uh the big thing, of course, that uh, the, the Jackals are hosting their uh, first new game at Hinchcliffe Stadium on May 20th, a Saturday night. That should be really cool. Um, and uh, a couple other a special a Juneteenth game that the Jackals are going to have on June, um, well, on June 19th, of course. Yes. Uh, I think that's going to be really cool. Again, that's what we've talked about is what you need to play into when you when you put a team into Hinchcliffe Stadium. You need to play into the history. Uh, and of course the uh, the culture of the the stadium that you're going to play into. I think that's a really good idea. You don't want to just like plop a team and just play in Hinchcliffe Stadium and say like you have to like reach out to your to to the community. And I think this is a good way to do it, especially uh, in an old Negro League ballpark. Uh, that I think that's really cool. So I uh, I'm a big I'm a big fan of that Larry Doby Day as well. Uh, you know, Jackie Robinson gets so much uh, praise as he should, but Larry Doby is right up there as well as guys who are breaking breaking barriers uh, back in the fifties, in the late forties, early fifties as well. So, um, so I think two really cool things specifically on the. I know that's more of a Jackals heavy answer, uh, but I'm definitely excited for those two things, and I think it's a good sign that the Jackals are really playing uh, into the whole. Uh, Hinchcliffe history part of it, which they're going to have to do for the net, as they try to establish a fan base in Patterson. Absolutely. And all those things are certainly uh, pressing. One thing that's also kind of of note, uh, Three Rivers is going to be the final team, too, to have their home opener. That's going to be on May 23rd, so nearly uh, almost two weeks, actually, uh, to when the season kicks off on May 11th. Most teams are going to be that May, uh, May 11th or May 12th date. Uh, there was a couple sprinkled in on the 16th and 19th as well uh, there. But you did neglect to mention the one thing which I thought you were going to take advantage of for me not saying. What, what is that? Oh, the fact that we don't have any new teams this year, but we do have a returning traveling team that was a complete and utter embarrassment to the league last year returning. Wait. Yeah. Someone didn't click the printable did schedule. Or look at the graphic on the screen. God damn it. <laughs> I did not. I was just reading the releases and I'm like, oh, like, why would I need to look at the, uh, why would I need to look at the, the, the form or anything else? Just read the, read the, the press release. It'll tell me what I need to know. Wrong. It didn't. Yeah. That, you know what? No, that's not my fault. Bad press release. <laughs> why would they want to promote the fact that the Empire State Graves are going to return for their second season? That's bad, bad press release, not my fault. You know, what's funny too is in like the week leading up, I kept having people asking me, are the Greys going to be back? And I didn't want to say yes or no because I was like, I don't think they're going to find another market because if they are, they're going to have to have all that settled before they announce the schedule. And the schedule is going to be out like the first or second week of October. So they're running out of time on that. But then at the same time, I was like, there's no way on God's green earth they could return a under 10 win team to this league. They they just can't possibly do that. And then I saw them like tease like, oh, we're releasing the schedule on Monday. And on the graphic, they had the Grays logo. I was like, oh, dear God, please tell me someone just didn't update and they're just not going to take it down. And then they didn't. And then the Grays were there. And then the Grays posted their schedule. 
And I was like, oh, dear God, they're not planning on changing anything. This is going to be a train wreck again. Well, uh, when you bring it to like that, that's a good point. Because, of course, in order to uh, have a league where the Grays are not in it, you need to find another market. And we have heard nothing. And I mean nothing on that end of things either. So I guess that makes sense when you put it like that. But I guess they just didn't want to promote that the Grays are back. But. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really need. I see the Grays. They were a fun talking point at some points this year, but it got tired quick, and it's going to get tired as we go into year two as well. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like it was kind of funny at first. It was like, oh, look, they lost fifteen in a row, and then they got to like twenty in a row, and then what did wind up going up to? Like thirty three, thirty six, roughly. Before they well, got what did they start, like, 0 for what? I, I, that's what I don't remember. I believe it was, like, 0 for 36? 36. That's what the number kept coming to my head. Without looking it up real quick, I think it was 0 for 36. And then, like, the yeah. day before they managed to really take it to the Valley Cats, they almost won it, but then the Valley Cats kind of eked it out late. And I was like, oh, God, this team's going to win, and it's probably going to be Tri-City that loses to them, and that's going to be a complete and utter embarrassment. And it was. And then they wound up winning like a game against Rockland or New York. Now I keep calling them Rockland, but they keep, they beat the Boulders like a couple days later. And it was like, oh my God, they got two wins in their last five. Are they turning the corner? And then it's like, no, no, they're not. This is just their best stretch of the season. So like, again, like on one hand, I want to chastise the league. I mean, I kind of already did that. But on the other hand, it's like, just throwing a random market that's not really going to be sustainable beyond like one or two years is no better than running the Grays out there. I mean, like, great. Instead of having a team that goes like, I'm going to be optimistic and hope that they have 10 wins this year. And that may be overly optimistic, them going 10 and 86. But throwing a 10 win traveling team out there, how much better is it to have like, some team in the middle of, uh, I don't know, let's just say, in the middle of the main wilderness, win 25 games one year, stick around another year winning 17, and then, you know, having to be disbanded and folding because there's just not, you know, any sort of support base there. You know, I mean, like, you obviously this is positive, but it's probably better than having a real team and then having it fold, right? Yeah, it's I, I would I would agree with that. I think uh, it's better. You're better off running a traveling team out there than throwing one into a market where it has no no real place of being. I, I think you're right about that. I think I would rather take the time and try and find a sustainable market uh, and do what you have to do with the Grays. Unfortunately, but uh, it, it's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, like it's pro- as you mentioned, it's probably better than just trying to throw something together and throw a bandaid on last minute and be like, like say, so, for example, like I'm just spitballing here, but yeah. oh, we're gonna put like a team at Yogi Berra or something like that, mm. you know, like for one year, like how would that go? Yeah, it'd Maybe. be horrible, and oh. honestly, might lose you more money than a traveling team would anyway. Probably, yeah. I mean, then also, obviously, we've seen how like. Oh well, we could run two teams out of the same ballpark. Manhole setup worked in the Atlanta no. this year. No, we're not doing that anymore. Well, we may be doing it in the Atlantic League. We don't know that for certain yet. Who knows, right? Gross. We should we should get Ryan on and have him talk about that. I think he'd have a fun time talking about that. I think he would too. I think he'd have thoughts, but yeah, which speaking of which, he was supposed to make an announcement tonight, and I don't think he has yet. As no, he court. did. He, there was something on his YouTube channel. Yeah, I, 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 to be honest with you, Nick, I was gonna ask after, like, yeah. I was like, did you watch it? Because I have not yet. I have not either. We'll figure it out soon enough. We're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about this next week. But anyway, that'll be one of the announcements. We'll, we'll analyze it. <laughs> That's gonna be our one of our main talking points. We're gonna break down the video frame by frame, like it's the Zabruder film. But, yeah, no, I don't, I don't really care about what the actual announcement is. We're gonna talk about the production of it. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna critique it. All, all the way through. I mean, I expect Oscar-worthy levels of uh, VFX. I want full animation. I mean, if it's not there, I don't even really know what we're doing. So, uh, 
anywho, uh, I suppose that's to wrap the Frontier League. It is nice to see the schedule on there. I'm really interested in the Larry Doby day. We're going to talk more about Larry Doby and the Jackals and Hinchcliffe next week. I'll explain that later on. But there's a lot in here to really like, a lot to really uh, be excited for. And uh, really, with the exception of the Grays, there's nothing negative to take away from this. And I'm sure I said something like this at some point over the past, you know, 10 months. But obviously, the Grays are never a good solution. We would like to see them not used. And having them back-to-back years is bad. And there's just no earthly way you can go into a third year of a Grays team before we really have to start, you know, going in on you a bit. I mean, we've gone in on leagues for lesser reasons than that. It just is everything else with the Frontier League seems to run fairly smoothly. This just seems to be the hiccup. And again, it's just they they need to figure that out sooner than later. Yeah. Like, I'm talking something they should probably have figured out, like, the middle of the year next year, I would say. I mean, like, even if it is, like, like, I know this is kind of contradicting what I just said not five minutes ago, but even if it is just, like, a temporary kind of jumping stone place, at that point, I think that is better than having a traveling team permanently. Because, I mean, if you have, like, a traveling team or kind of, like, bring in the Cuban national team for a couple of series or whatever that is. Now we're starting to get into real Can-Am league territory, and that's just never a very good sign at all. No, whenever you say do 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 what the Can-Am league did, you should probably stop your suggestion right there. Oh, yeah, that's, that's never a, a good sign of things to come. But on that note... Uh, we do have a little bit more Frontier League talk that we're going to have to get through. This came out today. We knew uh, Kamroth left Lake Erie, uh, but they didn't waste too much time here filling that gap. I mean, it was, what, less than a month before they found their new guy, and that new guy is Jared Lemieux. He is going to take over as the uh, manager, and I believe he's also going to be, yes, he is, the director of baseball operations for the 2023 season for the Lake Erie Crushers. He spent the past two years with the New Jersey Jackals, I believe as a bench coach, and he's been involved in the Can-Am League and the American Association for quite some time. He was also on the coaching staff of the Ottawa Champions, if you don't remember them, however short-lived they were, in 2016 when they won the Can-Am League, and he was there uh, with them for some time as well. He has playing experience in indie ball, he has coaching experience in indie ball. He's pretty well from what I can see the general reception I've seen online from a bunch of people and from what messages I've gotten has been is really well thought of is kind of really well liked so it's going to be interesting to see how this goes like Erie's been kind of a real up and down franchise as of late they have their moments where they look really good and they have the moments where they look really bad they're kind of just like perennial meh as of late although they have you know, in the 20-teens, had some very good success as well in the Frontier League. So hopefully this will uh, be a jumping-off point for them where they can manage to uh, get back onto the right track. Yeah, this seems like a good hire to me. I think that, uh, I think, as you said, Nick, Jared Lemieux seems to be a very well-liked figure. He's been very experienced in indie ball, uh, not necessarily as a manager, but uh, the coach, like uh, being an assistant, of course, uh, with with the Jackals and in the Can-Am League as well, with uh, with the Ottawa Champions. So that's certainly good. I will say, maybe it could have given some more consideration, say to uh, like assistants of teams that are very like consistently winners in the Frontier League, like because let's just be honest here, the Jackals since moving to the Frontier League have not been a winning team fair at point. all. Very fair so, point. Uh, I'm always, I'm always, when I look at hiring man, hiring managers, and this is not me saying Lemieux is a bad hire. Uh, I just think that you, you are more, I think it's always the best way to look, uh, or a lot of the time, the best place to look is trying to take assistance from winning team, consistent winning teams, uh, for taking, trying to take off of, uh, say, like a Quebec staff, um, or a Washington staff. Or something like that, and not even just who was the best this past year, but who has been consistently winning, as Washington and uh, and Quebec really have. Even though Quebec was well, well, this is their first year, but 
I mean, let's be honest here. Quebec has won every year they've ever played the game of baseball. So, um, I I think that I, I think it seems like a good hire. Uh, he, a well liked a young guy as well. Uh, I do, I, I do, I did just think I would like bring up that of the other perspective to play devil's advocate Hmm. that, yeah, like he wasn't assistant on a team that has really struggled in, in the frontier league so far. So that's at least just something to, to acknowledge. How much of that is Jared Lemieux is doing? Probably not much of it. But uh, so we'll we'll have to see. But I mean, it, it, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out because Lake Erie is definitely a team that is looking for some consistency. A team that is looking for some winning that they have not really had in, in, a, in a little bit. Yeah, I do think that is, is a fair uh, criticism to warrant. I mean, I don't know how much say he had in roster construction too. So. Perhaps, you know, I imagine he had some. I know he was there at the draft uh, earlier in the year, and he was there, obviously, you know, scouting, looking, helping make picks and whatnot. So he clearly had some responsibility in building that roster. Overall, though, I think it is still a very solid hire. He's a guy that has, you know, well over a decade of experience. He kind of knows thing. He kind of knows how this works. And Brooks Carey is a good manager. He's obviously had success uh, at this level before, even if the past couple of years really haven't been too great for the Jackals. So being under a guy like Brooks for a while, I think is also a positive. Um, that said, I do think the roster and the team success does warrant uh, maybe a little bit of apprehension. But I, I also do wonder how much of that is uh, is in his control, too. So overall, though, I do. Yeah, think I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how much, but I think. It's just something that I've yeah. thought about, and like specifically with like hiring for baseball. I mean, you see what they do at the big league level all the time. Like, yeah. I mean, how many freaking raise executives get, get jobs other places? I mean, it, there's a reason for that. So, uh, just, yeah, I'm just I, I think that that's the one thing you could bring up. But Lemieux seems like a well-respected guy. Who I, I I think Lake Erie Crusher fans could expect to do a pretty good job. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's someone to uh, certainly watch, and hopefully, he can manage to turn him around a bit. That would be be ideal for everybody, right? So on that note, we will take another look at schedule releases. Technically, this one's been out for about a, a week now because it came out on September 30th. Um, and it is the 2023 schedule for the United Shore Professional Baseball League, a league we seldom ever mention on this show just because it's such a... Um, I'm trying to think of a kind way to word it. Uh, such a niche league, I guess. It's very small and self-contained. I mean, how they play all their games in one ballpark. So they are a very different type of business model. We've talked to people from that league before on this show, so you can go back and, and look at those. But at the same point in time, uh, you know, they do have a little bit of a following, and there's been some positive players to come out of that as well. So we'll we'll cover them very quickly. Uh, it's a 70-game schedule from May 19th to September 9th. Um, as uh, owner and CEO Andy Appleby says, this is our best schedule yet. We always play during the best months of weather that Michigan has to offer, and we combine that with our family-friendly environment. The best promotions in great baseball. It's the most fun you'll have during the summer. Um, so, yes, they will uh, kick off the season with a rematch of the championship game from this past season, which is the Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers versus the Utica Unicorns on that Friday, May 9th, first pitch game at 7.05. Uh, they will have a home run derby and all-star game on July the 8th. And um, they'll have 17 nights of fireworks and some other stuff too. Uh, championship weekend is uh, September the 7th with the championship game being played on uh, Saturday. Uh, what the, that's a typo there. I'm reading through this the first time myself and I'm noticing there's a typo there. They say starting the championship weekend starts Thursday, September 7th. But the championship game will be played Saturday night, September 8th. That is quite clearly incorrect. Uh, there, as we know, the 3rd of September is a Sunday. So let's see, 4 would be Monday, 5 would be Tuesday. Six, two. Yeah, so it's actually the 9th. They meant to put September the 9th in there for their championship game. But, uh, oh, well, if you want to watch any of these games, they're on Facebook and YouTube, USPBL Network. So uh, any thoughts on the United Shore Professional Baseball League announcing their schedule? 
Well, not a whole anal- a whole lot of analysis to go on there. However, I will say this: uh, the best schedule we've ever had. That's the thing I picked up on too. I mean, boy, I I mean, okay. I mean, I I guess it's. I don't know how a schedule release could be the best one you've ever had, but you know what? I'll take your word for it. You've never seen a schedule like this. Believe me, I know schedules, and this is the best schedule, perhaps in the history of schedules, sir. This I mean, th- this is the best schedule release. I mean, is this the best schedule release episode we've ever done? It probably is. I, I don't know, that- but I'd assume it is. It must. Is is that the is that the is that the title of this week's show? I was gonna put uh I was either gonna put on the docket or on your calendar, the, but we could do the best schedule the best the best schedule release show. <laughs> schedule around this show. Schedule Aroma. Oh my god. We're there's gonna be something fun with this title. I don't know what it is yet, but it's gonna be fun. <laughs> I like schedule Arama. That could be the winner. A schedule Arama could very well be the winner. I mean, how many <laughs> other schedule release episodes have we been able to talk about the Utica Unicorns who went twenty-eight and sixteen last year? Six thirty-six winning percentage. Now that's no Missoula wow. paddleheads, but that is still pretty good. Yeah, I mean now, now this would require me knowing who won the uh, championship last year. But uh, like you said, they didn't choke like the uh, paddleheads did. They at least got to the... Oh, no. No, they did choke. The Beavers won it. Oh, the, those, those, those The Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers won it with their 500 record. Oh, God, somewhere, someone in the American Association is going, see, we told you, 500 teams can win a championship. Off-season is so back. <laughs> Off-season off season's back and better than ever, and we're only one week in. We still have, what, like five months of this? Seven months of this shit? So, one, week, one week at a time, Nick. One week at a time. If you don't like this kind of off-season talk, you just don't like the off-season. This is grade A stuff here. We can't afford to lose that. Oh, God. There's like a 15-second gap in this recording. Oh, God. Crap. Oh, or God. No. I, I I really hope that makes even more sense in the context. Otherwise, this is what happens when we talk about the USPBL. This is why we don't talk about this this league. We need to, we need to move on. We need to move on before something else happens. We got to go talk about Atlantic League Awards because we have Atlantic League Awards to talk about. We got all of them. Uh, or at least I think all of them. I don't think there's any after player of the year. So we got manager of the year, defensive player of the year, pitcher of the year, and player of the year. Uh, I would say that three of these are pretty no-brainer. Um, one of them is just kind of a crapshoot because we don't have metrics for it. But uh, let's see. Can you guess who won each of these awards? Uh, is that a question to me? To you, to anyone listening. You know, it doesn't really matter. To the Bloomfield Beavers, if, if, too. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you followed any shred of the Atlantic League this year, you know who won Player of the Year. If you've ever, if you've watched an Atlantic League game ever, you know who won Pitcher of the Year. And uh, if you know, like, in general, who was in the playoffs and why, you know Coach of the Year. And then if you guessed Defensive Player of the Year, congratulations. <laughs> really hitting, this is a fairly easy parlay to hit. That's really what we're getting down to. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, well, it'd probably be like, well, I don't know if the I mean the parlay would give give really good odds. What if you could bet on Atlantic League stuff? Well, we know you can place bets at the uh, Ferry Hawks games. Now, not yeah. on the not on the Atlantic League. That was made very clear in our interview. But you can do live game betting. But like th- that's exactly that's what the, I want, though. I oh, want to be able to bet. Can you imagine if league. you could bet on Atlantic? Why why couldn't you do that? Is there something like illegal about it? There's I mean, nothing there. Just no one really gives odds on this, and I'm not sure I would trust the kind of person that knows enough about the Atlantic League to give me odds on this. That's yeah, true. That's or it could be you. Maybe it that's what Ryan. Could be Ryan. Yeah, maybe that's, that's Ryan's announcement. He's starting a sports book for independent league oh baseball. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how legal that would be, but you know, he's what? in Pennsylvania. I, mean, I think they got sports gambling. If not, he could sit up on the other side of the river. We got it. That's right. That's that is what us degenerates do. Exactly. I mean, not that I'm a really much of a gambler, but I mean, like, I let's be real. If you're if you're betting on independent league baseball, 
you may have a gambling problem. I mean, there's people who are betting on preseason. So, like, preseason basketball, preseason hockey. At least that you, like, at least you could kind of form up odds on that. Is there a bigger crapshoot than betting on week one of the Atlantic League season? I mean, I don't, I mean, I think what you should be asking is: there anything more electric than betting on the number on week one of the Atlantic? Someone is trying to get an internship at DraftKings. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even a gamble. Like, I don't, I, I don't gamble at all. But uh, I, well, I guess the problem is, if it's like a organization based in a state where. Oh wait, no, that doesn't make sense because you can bet in the NFL, like for teams that are in states where you can't you can't bet. Yeah. But I mean, oh, if imagine if, what? Yeah, I, I think Ryan needs to start his own sports book. That, that's what I'm going to suggest. That, you know, that's, that's really what we, that's what we need to suggest him. I I really look forward to him listening to this week's episode. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's like half about dams, half about Ryan's sports book, the ALP, the uh, the sports, the uh, ALPB sports book. Yeah. I mean, he put together so many odds. Like, I honestly could probably do it. Yeah, which I mean, I went yeah. on. I went onto the YouTube channel here, and I'm seeing the thumbnail for the final ALPB roundup. So that's ominous. But then we got long live indie ball nation here. So I mean, this could be serious. Oh, oh, we got a new logo too. But when you hover over the video to preview it, I gotta be honest, he's not doing good in the presentation element. It looks like uh-huh. we got another one of those. Uh, those uh just point the camera at me things although there is a decent depth of field i will give him that although i don't love just a a dark hallway with what i believe are french doors behind him very fancy much classier than a sliding door so i give him credit on that front so um i look forward to that full review hell i may make a whole youtube video breaking down this like one of those uh Oh, what is it? Like one of those Vanity Fair ones where they bring the director on to break down the scene? Maybe doing that here. That could be a yeah. good decision. Yeah, I think that could work. That's the bonus content. This is the cross-promotion that all those YouTube people talk about. But I think that's what the people want. Yeah. Uh, so I guess back to <laughs> back to Atlantic League Awards like we were starting to talk about. Yeah, Daryl Thompson won Pitcher of the Year. Courtney Hawkins won Player of the Year. Goose Gaza won Manager of the Year. None of this is surprising to anybody. And if it took you by surprise, you just haven't been paying attention. Uh, Daryl Thompson Which, wins. to be honest with you, if you weren't paying attention, I still could have guessed it probably. <laughs> you probably still could have guessed it, one. And two, I mean, I not, have we paid that much attention? I mean, it's not like we can be like uh, chastising people who haven't paid attention to the Atlantic League this year, but I mean, like we talked about them. That's more True. than a lot of people did. I mean, I digress. Yeah, we we we. we and is it our fault that the Atlantic League made the decision to be like, yeah, no, we're not going to be as entertaining as the other two? They should have just simply chosen to be more entertaining. They should have simply just chosen, you know, to get with the times and mean like the Frontier League. They revamped everything. The American Association decide, hmm, you know what? Maybe we should hire people for a full time staff. And they decided to do that and it worked out well for them. So I'm just saying maybe that's a decision they should consider at some point in time. You know, that that know. sounds like my that sounds like my college classes. Like it's not my fault that they chose to be boring. <laughs> it's not my fault that they chose to give boring lectures on things that were kind of important. They're not baseball. I don't care. You know what? There's a fair case to be said that you could use that same sentence on certain elements of the Atlantic League. That is a great point. (laughs) The mound is two feet back. It is not baseball. It is not my fault. Not baseball. It's not my fault. Maybe that's the title of this show. Or, or as Nick would say, as he's watching the Major League Baseball playoffs this week, there's a DH. It's not baseball. It's not my problem. I mean, like, first off, the fallacy in there is assuming that I'm watching Major League Baseball's postseason at the start of hockey season. That's your first mistake. Secondly, and more importantly, it isn't baseball. There's a DH in the National League. Uh, Anyway, to keep it somewhat serious, Daryl Thompson wins his third in a row. Courtney Hawkins hit nearly 50 home runs this year. Came just short of setting a uh, league record in that regard. Goose Gazo was part 
of one of the most fantastic turnarounds we have seen in the uh, well in the history of the Atlantic League. And as far as Defensive Player of the Year, it was Melvin Mercedes, which again I can't really comment on, namely because there's just as of right now, and hopefully in the future this will change. And I really, really do mean that. I mean, like I'd love to have some sort of defensive metrics that we could go by, so we don't have to go by errors committed, fielding percentage, double plays turned, and general eye test because i mean like let's be real that's not really anything of value uh but if for now it is going to wind up being mel from mercedes as the what one two three four five six seventh winner of this award or winning the seventh award of this nature handed out technically is the sixth because well edwin garcia won in back-to-back years 18 and 19 uh he becomes the third second baseman to win it second second baseman in a row and the first Lancaster Barnstormer to win defensive player of the year those are just some fun defensive player of the year stats as well as every award or every year the defensive player of the year award has been won by either a second baseman or a shortstop except for 2017 where it went to New Britain B's outfielder Michael Krause remember the days where he's uh, where he was a uh, he played for the New Britain B's you know the New Britain B's I guess them. Baseball's better with the bees. Yeah, that's all I remember. But I mean, yeah, I mean to obviously make a serious point. Daryl yeah. Thompson is incredible. He's ageless. He just does this every single year. Uh, so him winning pitcher of the year, not a surprise. And Courtney Hawkins just having an unbelievable, unbelievable season. Uh, and uh, so he should be indie ball player of the year. I don't think it's really that close mm-hmm. at all. Um. So that easy choice there, of course. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think Gastonio was probably one of the best turnarounds we've seen in the history of indie ball. Granted, fair, yeah. granted, it's tough to make that case incredibly strongly just because of they lost in the first round. Uh, but if they had gone all the way, I think it would be the best turnaround. And he deserves a lot of credit for it, a lot. So totally rebuilding the team, making it an, a very different type of a, a different style, uh, a lot of a lot more speed, a lot more athleticism than we'd see that we saw from the, uh, the the first Gastonia team. So he deserves a lot of credit. I think that's an easy decision there as well. You know, Melvin Mercedes, good for him. I mean, I'm gonna assume that they, the right decision was made because there's not really a whole lot of stats that'll say otherwise, but. You know, he's been around the league for a while, so he's definitely earned some hardware. So, nice job. I know, really. You know what would be cool, too? If we could get some sort of advanced metrics on Daryl Thompson, like, uh, I don't know, like his spin rate or whatnot, and be able to compare that, like, to his spin rate in, like, 19, 21, and 22. Like, obviously, I don't think we could get it for 19. There was just no way that's available. Perhaps in 21, 22, because of the track man, like, that was also flawed in its acquisition, but... You know, if we can manage to get that when he wins it in 23 and compare that to, like, all the past years and see, like, which Daryl Thompson season was the best out of all these great seasons, I would love to be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think that and it, it would not be easy either because he kind of just does the same year every year. Yeah. Also, another cool thing here when you look at all the past award winners, Southern Maryland has now won four of the last five Pitcher of the Years. Daryl Thompson, the last three. Nate Reed got it from for Lancaster. In 2018, and then in 2017, Gabby Hernandez won it for the Blue Crabs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Daryl Thompson definitely has a lot more to do with that than I guess yeah. the Blue Crabs do, but <laughs> still, it counts. The blue, it counts. But uh, yeah, and then obviously we can't uh, go without talking about Courtney Hawkins because I mean, he very much deserves this award. I don't think there's anyone that even would come close or have an argument for being a co in this because we've seen that a couple of times actually the first year this was awarded we saw it in uh, 98 and then again in 07 there was a repeat there but i i have to imagine that uh in addition to this one he's going to probably get baseball america's independent or i guess now partner league player of the year here i mean 125 rbi second most ever by an atlantic league player in a single season the 48 home runs as we mentioned earlier tied the record that ozzy canseco set in 2000 uh, over 100 runs slugging percentage over 650 72 extra base hits over 300 total bases 
and over a thousand on the OPS. I mean, by God, the, the dude just, he didn't really play bad at any point this year. And it's almost a shame in a way that, uh, towards the very end, you had a lot of guys just kind of pitching around him and not really wanting to be that guy that got lit up for number uh, 49. Like, I really wish we would have gotten to see him get to 50. Out of everything that was just issues this year with La- with uh, Lexington, you know, and there was a lot of issues uh, on off the field in Lexington for a lot of different people in Lexington, it would have been nice to at least have this as like the, he set this record, we have this to hold up. It would have been nice to see it. But overall, I mean, just a fantastic season by this guy. I mean, he he's no stranger to the Atlantic League, and he, he put up probably his best career season yet. And I'm very, very looking forward to seeing what next year looks like. Yeah, I, he's he's really one of the best hitters that this league has seen. Uh, and he was doing it before. I mean, he I mean, he was doing it in 2018 and 2019 as well. So, uh, great power, all time, really great power hitter in indie ball for sure. Um, and you know, I think we're getting to a point where maybe if he's, you know, sticking around in the Atlantic league for a little bit longer too, Mm. he could start challenging some of those career records. And I think that's the next thing to look for for him as well. Absolutely. Hopefully the Atlantic league will update the records page that we'll be able to, you know, be better and easier for this records watch. That'd be great. Plus he's that another guy. Nice. I know. Plus he's another guy. I'd love to see the the like saber metric or the advanced numbers on him, the analytics on him, and see like all all of that information just like so readily available. I would love to have that information easily available. But uh, anywho, that's pretty much all you got for the awards. Obviously, he's the first Lexington legend to win this award. That comes as kind of no surprise. He does break up the trend of it being York, Long Island, York, Long Island. So we'll see if Long Island can kind of return to that every other type of thing. They would be in line again to uh, get that in 2023. They obviously didn't have a good year, but it'll be interesting to see um, how that shakes out here. Uh, Don't really have too much left to cover this week. Obviously, off-season shows, so they're not going to be as long. We have an announcement, and we have one other topic here which should be fairly quick here, which is kind of indie ball, but I call her more indie ball adjacent, which is banana ball. And that's to say that the Savannah Bananas, they left the Coastal Plain League. We kind of knew that was coming for a little bit of time now. And um, they instead are opting to play banana ball from February all the way through September. And they're going to make stops at a bunch of affiliated ballparks and some unaffiliated ballparks as well. I'm going to kind of run through them at first here, and we'll kind of talk about all of that in a second here. I was about to say Sugarland because out of instinct, I was like, oh, Sugarland. But then I was like, oh, no, no, they're AAA now. That's disheartening. We have Charleston, West Virginia, home of the Dirty Birds. They're going to have uh, the, the banana ball come through there. Then we are going to have the Kansas City Legends. This is going to be the second go around with them. We are going to see, let's see here. I know there's a bunch of others. I know Stan Island comes up. Yep, Stan Island gets in there in August. In September, we also have Milwaukee, so the Milkmen there as well. And just for those in the New York area, should you not be able to get to Stan Island, you can see them play in Trenton, a ballpark that should be part of the Atlantic League, but because of stubborn ownership is not this is uh it's an exhibition series so it doesn't necessarily mean uh for some of these games that they're going to be playing the home team so like let's say when they go to you know like uh indianapolis they're not going to play the triple a team that's there they're probably going to play the second team they travel with with which is i think called the party animals if i'm not mistaken so that's going to be the primary opponent yeah so i wouldn't expect to see too many home teams home ballpark teams play against the uh, savannah bananas but uh, even still it is kind of interesting to see here especially that some of these dates are during the season for uh, the atlantic league and the american association it's really it's cool to see it's a good way to grow the game of baseball. It's a good way to get really the community to turn out as well. 
Um, honestly, like I, I'm a big fan of it. It was, it's a way to, uh, it's, yeah, it's really a way to get fans out, get families out and any way for really the team to draw crowds, whether it's the the traditional indie ball or not. uh, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's, it's a good, it's really a good way for, um, it's a good way for the teams uh, to really get their communities to come out and, you know, watch some baseball the way you've never seen it before. Uh, the, it, it should be, should be really interesting uh, as well. So yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a smart idea. Yeah, I definitely think it is too. I saw some people a little bit critical. They left the coastal plains league, but at the same point in time, their brand is banana ball. I mean, I don't think anyone went to the coastal plains league games really excited to see, you know, a summer college league game. And perhaps I'm wrong. I'm sure, you know, maybe there was a couple of people that showed up like, oh, good night out baseball, just regular playing there. But when you hear Savannah Bananas, you're kind of like, oh, cool. I'm looking forward to watching a dude that just lit his bat on fire uh, try and hit a dinger off a guy on stilts while the infield and outfield behind him do some choreographed dance. You know, their thing is basically being the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball and it's very successful it's very entertaining it's the kind of thing that quite frankly i kind of want to see once like i don't think i'd want to go you know two or three or four or five times but i definitely want to see it once i want to see the spectacle of it and if my choices were you know just like regular baseball 50 times a year or banana ball 50 times i'd probably go regular baseball but if you know for the casual walk-up person if my choices are banana ball or regular ball, banana ball is way more entertaining. I mean, there's no way around it. Now, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Some people may think it's stupid or juvenile, and that's fine. They're free to think that, but I mean, it's extremely entertaining. So I don't think leaving the Coastal Plains League is a bad idea, but I also think it's a fantastic idea for a lot of these ballparks too. I think it's a great way to draw new people into the ballpark and get them used to being there and kind of enjoying a modified version of baseball and heavily modified event. Um, but I think it's a positive for a lot of these ballparks to bring them in. It's a different branding thing. It's certainly baseball adjacent and who knows, maybe you can get a couple of repeat fans from it. And if not, if you're sacrificing April dates, I mean, Hey, let's be real. Those games don't really sell anyway. And if you're sacrificing September dates, those are also not the best selling dates unless it's postseason. Even then, it's real touch and go. So, yeah, if you're giving away garbage dates anyway, this is a great way to get people in the ballpark. So, I, I like this a lot. Yeah, it is it is a good way to get people in the park. And you make a good point about kind of the repeat uh the repeat fans also trying to get to keep those fans in the ballpark, uh, trying to get them to come back again, even if it's not banana ball. So uh, it's a good idea. Uh, and it's a little outside the box for a lot of these teams, but you're right. It is kind of turning into the Harlem Globetrotters of, uh, of baseball. That's cool. That's a cool way to grow the game. So I think it's a good idea. Absolutely. It's, it's different. And it's different in a fun way. I think that's the, the key difference here. It's not, you know, trying to do like half measures like you see with the Atlantic League obviously it's a much 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 different situation with them because they have the rules agreement it's a whole different thing but that's changing baseball but it's not changing it enough to where it's a different product it's just different from how a lot of people like to consume it this is just a different product and it's fun it's entertaining and I think especially for younger kids too like let's be real if you got four and five year olds that keeps your that keeps their attention way more than just regular baseball, right? I mean, yeah, way more. It, it's fun, it's entertaining. If it can grow the sport and grow the game, it's a positive. So, love to see that. So, uh, on that note, we are out of news, but we do have an announcement here, and I'm going to go ahead and open my planner here to make sure I get the name correct. Because next week we have an interview, and if you heard earlier, or remember back to earlier when I said. Next week, we're going to talk a lot more about Larry Doby and the Jackals and Hinchcliffe and all of that. That is because we are going to have a guest on that is one of the founders of the Friends of Hinchcliffe Society. I believe it is a society. Let me go ahead and pull up the email from which he first sent me. So that way I have his title correct. The Friends of Hinchcliffe. That's no society. It's just Friends of Hinchcliffe. And it is Brian Lapinto, who we shall have on. He was already on another podcast, Ballpark Hunters, 
uh, earlier this year. I listened to that interview. Very interesting guy. A lot of really interesting information from him about the ballpark. Saving Hinchcliffe's kind of been his... Oh, man, I really hope this isn't losing it because I'm seeing notes off of this computer later. Oh, yep. <clears throat> so he kind of spent his whole adult life, for lack of a better term, uh, kind of working towards saving and preserving this ballpark not far from where he grew up. And, uh, and now it's finally, you know, 25 years later, you know, saved. It's been already uh, all announcements come out and everything that's going to be, you know, announced going forward and has been announced in the recent past. So he reached out to us, wanted to come on the show and Obviously, this is something that's going to be extremely interesting for you guys to listen, something that's going to be interesting for us to learn about, and uh, something that I'm very, very, very much looking forward to uh, to doing. We're going to have that interview for you next week. So Brian uh, Lopinto will be joining us from the Friends of Hinchcliffe Society. So we're going to kick off our off-season interviews with him, and hopefully the week after that, we don't have anything scheduled right now, but this week I've been busy trying to get those interviews taken care of so hopefully the week after that we should be uh pretty much good and rolling so hopefully we'll have an interview every week until uh the end of december where we do kind of you know like the end of your review and the uh q a episode and then after that hopefully we'll get back to interviews as well so uh that's the game plan for right now is interviews for the rest of the way through i think and we'll see about it but i think next week could probably also start uh kind of doing division reviews, go over the teams in the different divisions, see, you know, look back at the past season here. But the main focal point is our interview with Brian Lapinto. It's going to be all about Hinchcliffe, all about professional baseball there, the history of the stadium, all that goes along with it. So something that's definitely going to be interesting to uh, to do. And if you have any questions about Hinchcliffe, about Patterson, about baseball's history in Patterson, anything in particular that you want, asked be sure to uh tweet at us or uh contact us in some form all the contact information is on the website indiebarport.com uh so be sure to reach out to us there and uh, let us know so that way we can make a point to ask it yeah this it, there should be a really interesting interview uh just looking at uh there's so many facets to uh, that Hinchcliffe decision and rebuilding Hinchcliffe and uh, what and ultimately what the future of it's going to be and what the long-term plan is there. So it should be a really interesting interview and uh, a lot of interesting ways of the, that the discussion can go. So very excited for it. Yep, absolutely there. So uh, with that said, we don't really have too much else to get to. So I guess we'll get to the plugs and we'll get out of here uh, for now. Hopefully nothing major comes out tomorrow and if it does we'll address it then but i don't anticipate it. it's the off season after all so those are some famous last words for you but we'll go to the plugs uh if you want to follow the show you could do so just about wherever you find podcasts so podbean tune in stitcher spotify apple podcast uh you know all those major ones i really recommend spotify and apple podcast although google podcast also has it too but those are kind of the big ones be sure to check them out there uh you can follow the show on twitter at indie ball pod on instagram at alpb underscore news and at indie ball report so be sure to follow there for updates and news and things of that sort uh with that being said do we have anything else left to add uh only thing i have left to add uh who i should have thought about this oh i have something to add i i think we should i just looked on the atlantic league website they now have records updated through the 2021 season oh wow so not fully updated but close oh wow this is this is ground shattering news really like wait is it under just like the traditional record book page yeah so you hit record book and it opens up like a pdf now so okay so and it goes it's it doesn't have the 2022 season put in yet but uh it does give you through 2021 so it's better oh god this is holy crap they actually have something resembling a, a real league now if they ever go ahead and just go full on and give us a media guide, that's when I'm really going to get happy. But, oh, wow, we even have records of all-star games. Oh, wow. This is exciting stuff here. 
Even All-Star Game MVPs, uh, this is more than I could have ever hoped for, to be quite honest, <laughs> which is kind of sad. But uh, yeah. Oh, wow. This is this is something else. But this that was definitely something worthwhile to add. Uh, I liked having these older uh, lineups here, seeing how each team did. And, you know, when I did the Nork series, what was like a year or so back, that would have been extremely helpful information to have. But beggars and choosers, I guess. So uh, I would say only thing, only two things I have left to add, because I have to mention it. Uh, first off, I decided to purchase one, I guess, Major League Baseball related item because it was dirt cheap. And that was MLB The uh, Show 22. I finally bought that for 20 bucks. I thought it was decent. So far, working on getting this pitching mechanic down, that's kind of tough. And uh, getting the batting down, too. So that's good to see. That said, other thing is, I'm really enjoying the reignited clean record debate now because all of a sudden now, it's a modern Yankee that would hold the single-season home run record. So now... Bonds and McGuire and Sosa and all of them that have more home runs in one season. Now they're juicies and whatnot. But four months ago, those records were all fine and good. So I'm really enjoying... Isn't it funny how that works? Yeah, I'm really enjoying the hypocrisy here. Like, at least if it's people like me that have a historical stance on this of they've juiced, they shouldn't count because they're tainted and they cheated. At least if you're someone in my camp, there's more respectability here. Because we've been saying this shit from the get-go. And it kind of hurts me that by my own logic, I'm like, ah, shit. That means a modern Yankee has that record. And I really don't like that. So it's almost making me reconsider my stance. But I'm like, ah, that's even worse to go back on it now. So I'm really not sure what to say. Although I'm really kind of getting tired of Maris's son just constantly talking. It's getting really annoying now. I'm not going to lie. The first few times was like, okay, fine. I get it. The seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time is like, dude, we get what you're saying. I understand what you're doing here, but you can settle down now. We get your point. Yeah, I totally agree. He needs to stop talking at this point. Like he just tweets the same thing every day. Yeah, it it's like at least change out the message a little bit, right? But yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I just have to uh, I have to ask about this too because I'm sure there'll be some people that didn't check the score of the Rutgers game here. Was it an ultimate victory for Rutgers in the terms from which you describe victory for Rutgers as? Uh, it was a push, so I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I'll go yes, though. That's fine. Win? Okay, so losing by 39 is, you know, not bad. That's, That's fine. fine. It's Ohio State. It's fine. And who are they playing uh, tomorrow? Obviously, by the time this goes up on Saturday morning. Uh, They're playing the, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and they need to win. It's a must-win game. So, let me put it to you like this. If Nebraska were to, I don't know, pull this victory out and they were to win, and I'm not even going to say it was like a handily victory. You know, I'm not even saying it's like a 15-point win or something like that where it's like, okay, three-score game. Let's say they win by, I don't know, nine points. Nebraska beats Rutgers by nine at Rutgers. What will your mood be? Uh, in the immediate hours after. Really pissed. Ah, okay, I see, I see. And so then next week, when we come back on, and I ask you to to recap the events of what happened in Piscataway, uh, what will your reaction be then? Really pissed. Okay, good. So what you're telling me is I should become a Cornhuskers fan because of the content possibility. I would not, I would not uh, advise it, but if that's something you want to do, then go ahead, but I will not endorse it. I mean, I know, I actually think I can say this with some confidence. I know more people that went to and graduated the University of Nebraska than the Rutgers University. Well, Rutgers is going to win, so it's okay. All right. So I, I look very forward to, uh, Whatever tweets will be ensuing this time tomorrow night. We'll see. We'll see. But if they win, I expect a congratulatory tweet. Uh, I will tweet something that could resemble congratulations. I will say that. I'll take it. It'll, it will be especially funny, too, because that tweet will go out with absolutely no context because this show will still be like 
eight to ten hours away from being up. That's fine. But, uh, we could confuse people. That's okay. I no, I'm not, I'm saying it's a good thing. I like that. So. Yeah, it's fine with that. Yeah. On that note, we will end this episode of Schedules, Collegiate Football, and uh, AOPB Roundup, possibly now Indie Ball Nation Watch Talk. Uh, as we end every episode of Collegiate Football, Schedule Reveal, and whatever the hell Ryan is doing at this present moment, Watch Talk. And that is by saying, don't forget to play ball.